0: Awake! You got that that extra hour and a half of sleep made a difference. He is risen. Yes. All right. My name is James. I'm part of the teaching team here at Discovery Church, and it's my privilege uh, to share with you God's word this morning. Um, And when I'm not helping at the church, uh, what I do during the week besides hanging out with my beautiful wife and my two um, mostly lovely children is uh, I work on staff with the NAVs here at UC Davis. So I think I have a, yeah, there's, there's my family. And, and maybe some of you, you're like my daughter, Margaret, and we call her May. And this morning, boof, I'm trying to remember how early it was. It was too early. I hear a loud proclamation coming from her room to her little brother, Ezekiel. Zeke, oh, well, it was much louder than that. Zeke, wake up, it's Easter. And my, I looked at the clock and I said, no. <laughs> you do not wake up for another hour, because that's when you're actually supposed to get up. Maybe you're like Meg, and you couldn't wait to be here. Or maybe you're here, and you're kind of not quite sure what you're doing here, or how you ended up here. Either way, I'm really glad that you're here, and I, and I believe, and I have confidence that God has something to say to each and every one of us. Um, today, we'll be looking at different passages in the scriptures, in the Bible, so if you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring a Bible to you. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that as a gift. Uh, we want you to have the scriptures. We are confident that that will change your life. So for me growing up, uh, Easter was not spent in a church. It was all about the candy. Bunnies, candies, I didn't really care. That, I'm the little one kind of round. I was, it was kind of a joke. It's funny how things haven't changed a whole lot. And my daughter saw that picture and said, that bunny's got creepy eyes. I was like, he kind of does. Um, but for me, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't go to church. I had no idea what Easter was apart from this magical rabbit that gave me candy. Uh, and, and the person I associated uh, Easter with was this man. I got a picture. right? Some of the younger kids are like, who is that? That is Charlton Heston, in um, the Ten Commandments. And every year around Easter, as I was anticipating in my magical rabbit with chocolate, uh, this guy would be on TV. I was like, okay, this guy's on TV again. So eventually I was like, this guy must have something to do with Easter. So Easter, bunny, this guy. Um, but it wasn't until I was, when I was older that I learned that the Ten Commandments um, don't exactly have a whole lot to do with Easter on the surface. And, and the reason why the Ten Commandments was on TV, it was actually on TV yesterday night, so if any of you missed the first half, you can see the second half. Um, tonight, it's like 5,000 hours long. Um, the reason why the Ten Commandments, in the movie is on around Easter every year, is because it coincides with the celebration of the Jewish holiday, Passover. Okay, and Passover celebrates God's liberation of the nation of Israel, uh, where they were, they were enslaved to Pharaoh. And through Moses, God sends a number of plagues, right? So some of you um, might be familiar with some of them. The Nile became blood, frogs, all sorts of not good stuff. And the last plague that God sends was the death of all the firstborn. But God had a special instruction for the nation of Israel, for his chosen people. He told them, that every family was to choose an unblemished and perfect lamb. And what they were to do was to kill it. And they would take the blood from that perfect lamb, and they would um, paint it or put the blood on the doorposts of their homes. And when God saw the blood, the blood of the lamb, his wrath would pass over any of those homes of the Jewish homes. And spare the individuals inside from death and judgment. The lamb would die so that they wouldn't have to. And this idea of being saved through the death and another continues throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, and I believe it has implications for us today. And the Passover was so important that God told the nation of Israel, "You're going to celebrate it every year." And so it started last week, and the celebration will continue on. I believe it ends on Tuesday. And this was to remember what God had done. I don't know about you, but I forget very, very quickly. I forget. Uh, You could ask my wife. I forget a lot of things. Uh, I should remember. Uh, But God wanted Israel to remember what he had done, that he was real, He was faithful, and he was their ultimate source of hope. And as I look at the world today, and as I've studied history in the past, I think one thing that I've seen that every single person needs is hope. Hope, if we have it, allows us to endure unspeakable trials. But hope, even if we have comfort, or life is going well, the absence of hope leads us into despair. And as I was thinking of just our recent history, there are two very clear examples of this that I saw. So uh, before coming here to UC Davis to work with the NAVS, I worked with the NAVS, Navigators, at UCLA. And in 2007, uh, in November of 2007, I was hanging out in a a dorm floor, and um, the presidential election was occurring. Barack Obama was winning the presidency. And there was this palpable excitement on this dorm floor. Like People were like running around yelling. Um, and yelling. And I, when, I, when I think about that presidency, I think it can be encapsulated in one word. And that word is hope. And there's that, that iconic poster, right? Hope. Uh, and people gravitated to this message of hope. For two presidencies, there's this idea of hope. And I think about last fall, um, then candidate Trump, now President Trump, had his own version of hope that he, that he was sharing with our nation. And his version of hope was the promise to make America great again. And again, our nation was drawn to a message of hope. And I thought about Easter and I prayed, God, what do you want me to share with, with our family here? Um, the word hope kept coming to mind. So that's what I wanna talk about this morning. I want to share with you how and why Jesus rising from the dead gives me hope and how it is the cornerstone of our Christian faith. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29, this is a person named John the Baptist who was a popular teacher at that time. And people would come to hear what John had to say, and he would baptize people like, we're going to have baptisms later. I'm really excited about that. And, and John sees Jesus walking by. And he he looks to his disciples that are with him, and in John chapter 129, he says, look, and he points out Jesus, he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If I was John's disciples, I would say, like, that's okay. It's kind of an interesting thing to say about some random guy you just saw. And this was before Jesus was known. He wasn't popular. He didn't, like, have a bunch of Twitter followers and was, like, snapping, chatting all the time. He had no disciples, he he hadn't done any miracles, he had no notoriety, Um, but that quickly changed. Within the next three years, Jesus gathers disciples. He performs a number of miracles, feeding over 5,000 people with a few pieces of bread and a few fish, turning water to wine, Uh, it goes on and on. And he healed countless people of various diseases, and he taught with such authority and wisdom that the crowds flocked to hear him, and he started a movement. However, there were a group of people that weren't really excited about what Jesus was doing. There were a group of religious elite, um, the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the different E's, the scribes. And these were a group of men that felt and acted like they had it all together. And, And when they looked at Jesus... And they looked at who he spent time with, who he ate with, who he, who he hung out with, and they were upset. And they, they didn't like who he was hanging out with because he was spending time with people that they felt were unclean or below them, uneducated fishermen, tax collectors who worked for the very government that oppressed Israel, Rome, prostitutes who everyone knew what their sin was. And this was their reputation of Jesus. How John had said, look, the Lamb of God. This is what they said. They said, of Jesus, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And that's in Matthew eleven nineteen. 19. And you know what? I love that that's Jesus' reputation. Because I've spent, if I can be honest with you, I've spent so much time and energy in my life trying to act like I have it all together and to perform and feel like, okay, I'm good. I think I convinced most people today. Much like the religious elite of Jesus' time, I had it all together. But if if you were to take an honest look at my life, under a very thin veneer of having it all together, there was an ocean of brokenness, of hurt, of insecurity. I was and am a sinner. Uh, But I would hope that no one would notice. I could kind of keep it together enough. Uh, But I I believe Jesus would say my realization that I'm a sinner is a good thing. And this idea is also seen in our main passage this morning, which is in the, in the, the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that Paul, an early church leader, wrote to a church that he had started in the city of Corinth. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15 Verses 3 through 6. And this is what the word of God says. Christ died, verse 3, for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So we'll start with verse 3. So verse 3 tells us, that Christ died for our sins, okay? Our, not just mine, not just yours, all of ours. And some of us might hear the word sin, or like if I were to say, hey, do you know you're a sinner? And, and if you're like me, the reaction's is kind of like, mm, hold on there, like I'm not that bad. And you probably have like a couple people in your mind who are like, I'm not as bad as that person. And then if, if uh, you say, well, I try to be good most of the time. And then when people tell me, oh, I try to be good most of the time, I, I ask them, okay, so, like, how, how good are you? Like, 90-10? Uh, like and they're like, yeah. I'm like, really? 90-10? You're like 90% of the time you're good? They're like, ah, uh, 75-25. I'm like, okay. I'm like, really, 75? And they're like, mmm 50-50? I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. I'm just asking a question. Uh, because if I'm honest, man, I don't know what it would be. It's probably going to tip depending on the day. Um... But we are sinners. Another word for sin is just imperfection. And you can ask, even if I don't want to admit that I'm imperfect, you can talk to my wife. She will, uh, in a loving and respectful way, tell you how imperfect I am. Uh, If you ask my children, since they don't have filters, they'll just tell you all the mistakes I make. And they are many. We are imperfect, you and I, all of us in this room, everyone that walks on earth, no matter, and no matter how hard we try, we can try to be better, but none of us will ever be perfect. And if our hope is primarily in ourselves or in other people, you, we will be disappointed. If anyone is foolish enough to put their hope in me, you will be disappointed. If you've been my friend, you have already been disappointed, I'm sure. Uh, That's just life. (laughs) Um, And Paul, in another letter that he writes to Christians living in the city of Rome, he says this in Romans 3.23, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious or perfect standard. So we're all sinners, and that's why if you study the history of Israel, they were perpetually going to the temple and sacrificing animal after animal for all the different offerings and sacrifices to cover their sin, to be ritualistically clean. They couldn't be perfect, and neither can we. And further on in the letter to the Romans, to the the believers in Rome, Paul says this in chapter 6. He says, for the wages of sin is death, But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul tells us the cost, the wage, what we earn because of our imperfection is death. And this is both a physical and a spiritual death. So much like Egypt and Pharaoh, because of our imperfections, we've earned God's wrath. But God, scandalous in his grace towards us, overflowing with love, sends the gift of his son to save us. Jesus was not only the lamb from God, being sent from God, Jesus was the lamb of God. The scriptures say that he was fully God and fully man. And because he was fully God, he could do what none of us and no one has ever been able to do. And no one will ever, will ever be able to do. Live a perfect, sinless life. And because of his immeasurable love for you and for me, he willingly died on the cross, is what we remember on Good Friday, taking the full brunt of God's wrath that we deserved. He paid our debt before God, and for those that would believe and trust and obey him, Jesus says we can be restored into a right relationship with God right now. Jesus causes God's wrath to pass over us and onto him. He is our Passover lamb. No longer do we need to offer sacrifice after sacrifice. Jesus has done it for us once for all. But he didn't just die for our sins. He did much more than that. Because if all Jesus did was he was willing to die for something he believed in, he would be one person in a myriad of people that have died for what they believed in. And I was thinking of examples of this, and I I came up with with three. Um, the Ancient Greek philosopher Socrates or Socrates, as I thought it was called for a long time. Uh, a, there'll be a painting of, of his death, the death of, of Socrates, and he was accused of corrupting the youth. And instead of uh, escaping or giving up his principles, he chose to drink poison, hemlock. Another famous person, Mahatma Gandhi. Right, we, have a, we have a statue of him in our central park. A leader of the Indian independence movement and practitioner of of nonviolent civil disobedience. He was shot and killed for his civil rights work in 1948. And even more recently, uh, December 17, 2010, a fruit vendor, Mohamed Bouazizi, after facing much uh, harassment from corrupt officials in Tunisia, he reached a breaking point and he set himself on fire as a sign of protest. His actions were a catalyst to the Tunisian Revolution, which then in turn was a greater catalyst for the Arab Spring. These are just three people that have died for what they believed in. But Jesus is different. And in verse 4, Paul tells us that he was buried, and three days later, he came back to life. Proving that he was who he said he was, the Son of God. Resurrected. This is, what, this is what we celebrate. Whether you know it or not, like, why you're here is because we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and that is good news for me. Because it proves he says who he was, and that he would do what he said he would. he would. Because he rose from the dead, he could then save us from our imperfections and restore us to a right relationship with God. Because rising from the dead is not something that normal people do, Right? Let me just state the obvious. That is a supernatural, divine event that only God can do. The resurrection is crucial because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then the entire Christian faith falls apart. We have no hope. There is no forgiveness of sins. We're stuck in our imperfection. And we are, in Paul's words, greatly to be pitied. But I'm glad that's not the case because I believe Jesus has risen from the dead, and the scriptures say so. You might ask, well, how do we know Jesus rose from the dead? Right? I'm glad you asked. Well, let's look at verses 5 and 6. Paul tells us that Jesus, after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, one of his disciples, and to the other disciples, and to over 500 other followers at the same time. So it wasn't like someone dressed up as Jesus that like ran around and was trying to pull some sort of hoax, all at the same time. Supernatural act. And as you read uh, the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are biographies of Jesus' life, you will see names of the people that Jesus appeared to after he rose from the dead. And, and this way, um, as these letters are being distributed, people that would read like, okay, this so-and-so, like, okay, Jesus appeared to Peter. So you can go and find Peter and say, hey, Peter, I read this letter that says you saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. Is that true? And you could be like, yes, I did. And you're like, okay, one out of 500, like more to go, 400 more to go. Um, but this is the way people could, could check for themselves if, if what they were being told was true or if they were being given, or, or if they were being given alternative facts or like fake news you can go check it out. And leading up to his death, Jesus actually predicted and shared the manner of his death and his resurrection at least three times to his disciples. This was not something that came as a surprise, but he had predicted it. And lots of people like making predictions. My wife grew up in a suburb of Chicago, so she is a Chicago Cubs fan. And, And she said that's a good thing because they're fiercely loyal. And up until last year, for over 100 years, every Cub fan would say, this is the year. And ultimately, it would lead to not being their year. Um, and some of you might not remember this, but some of us are a little bit older. There was this thing called Y2K. Does anyone remember that? It was like, people were freaking out. They are like, we've got to buy like 500 gallons of water. You've got to get all this stuff ready, because the world's going to end because some computer program can't handle that. We go from 1999 to 2000. Nothing happened. I stayed up to watch the ball drop in New York and then I went to sleep because it was kind of a letdown. <laughs> um, and one that I really remember because uh, being at UCLA before um, coming to work at, at UC Davis, I remember seeing all these billboards on the freeway. And this man named Harold Camping was a, a televangelist and he predicted the end of the world, not once, not twice, but three times. And you might have seen some of these billboards. They are like, everywhere. In L.A., they were, like, everywhere. Um, and then and, and m- people would talk to me that, that weren't Christians. They'd be like, hey, what's going on with this end-of-the-world thing? And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know this gentleman, so I can't speak to him. But if you really want to know what the Bible says, just me and you meet up. We'll read it. And, and long story short, we're, st- we're still here. So it didn't work out like Harold Camping had predicted. Um, And so we're predicting things all the time. But Jesus is different. He didn't just make predictions or promises to gain power or prestige. He actually did what he said he was going to do. And it happened just like he said. He said he was going to die in a certain way, and he did. He said he was going to rise three days later, and he did. And for me, this gives great credibility and hope, not just to Jesus, but to all the things that he says. The spider on here. Um, he says that even though he sees all of my junk, that ocean I was talking about under that thin veneer of brokenness, of insecurity, of the things I never want anyone to know, he sees all of it. And he says in the scriptures, he says, he looks at me and he looks at you and he says, I love you. I see all that and I choose you nonetheless. I see all of that that you would never tell anyone else, and I gladly died for you. So regardless of what other people may think of me, or what even I think of myself, I know what Jesus thinks of me. And he says, I am worth something. I am worth him leaving his perfect relationship with the Father, him coming down and not just living, but dying. I'm worth that. And he says that you're worth that as well. In a world that's constantly yelling to me through what I see on TV, and the movies, what I read online, you're not enough. Be this, buy this, wear this, look like this. Because Jesus has risen, I can say no. I don't need to listen to you. I'm gonna listen to the voice of my good shepherd. I'm gonna rest in my relationship with my heavenly father who has adopted me as his son. And this God, when he thinks of me, the scriptures say that God rejoices over us with singing. That when he thinks of you, God bursts into song. I'm not going to sing, don't worry. Right? Uh, Even my kids, because they have to hear me sing. I'm not going to do that now. But God bursts into singing over you, over me. And he says that he longs to hold us close and quiet us with his love. Doesn't that sound amazing? That gives me such hope. I want that. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can live lives of freedom now. Not later, not when we die, now. I can say no to sin. I can ask for God's help to empower me to obey. I no longer have to live with a self-centered focus because I have a good God that cares for me He knows the very hairs on my head and he's taking care of me. I can now focus on loving God, being loved by him, and out of an overflow of that, I can love other people. I don't have to be about me anymore. And he makes a promise, Jesus makes a promise that he will be with us always. He is, if you have faith in Christ, he is with you now, And he will be with us in eternity when we die. And he also promises that nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing, nothing that you have done, nothing that has ever been done to you can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So friends, I have a question for you. What do you place your hope in? Is it money? That once you spend it is gone? That once you die, you don't get to take it with you? that cares nothing for your soul? Is it your career that eventually, no matter how many letters you have after your name, or how many plaques you have on the wall, all of us will stop working sooner or later? My encouragement to us is that we not be defined by what we do, but by who we are. Is it our physical appearance? I have some friends that work out a lot, they're in good shape. And I was even, this week, I was cleaning my office and I was looking at some pictures I found of me in my 20s, and I was like, dang, who is this guy? And I looked in the mirror and I was like, ooh, mmm, some things have changed. We will get older, we will get weaker, we will get flabbier, that is guaranteed. Or will you hope in people who, like we said, are imperfect and will fail? My my encouragement to you is do not hope in any of these things. And to kind of drive the point home, I'm I'm going to share with you a quote um, from Tom Brady, right? Some are like, some are like, yay. Um, Either way, Tom Brady, if you don't know who he is, he is the quarterback for the New England Patriots. Uh, I was was, uh, corrected. I had said he has four rings. He has five Super Bowl rings. And in an interview in 2005 with CBS, he says this says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. This is Tom Brady. I think most of the guys would be like, I'll be Tom Brady. I'll get paid tens of millions of dollars to play a sport. I want to be married to a supermodel. I want to never, ever have to worry about money. Again, the baton is living the dream, he's telling us that it's not satisfying him. When he has reached the goal of what we would want, he says he finds it lacking. And I would say he's hoping in the wrong things. The resurrection is our source of hope and the foundation of our new life in Jesus. It is a gift that costs God greatly, but he offers it offers it to us freely. And because Jesus has risen from the dead, as he said he would, we can echo Pastor John Piper's words when he says this, our hope in God isn't just a wish or a dream, I hope so, but a sure confidence that what God says will happen, will happen. So the next time you see the Ten Commandments on TV, I think it'll be on later tonight. I saw it yesterday. Uh, I want you to remember that this isn't just about the nation of Israel and the celebration of Passover. It's a foreshadowing of something that God was doing on a much grander scale. That God sent Jesus, the perfect Passover lamb, the lamb of God, who in one sacrifice would save all that would believe in him. So if you know Jesus, if you would say, I have a relationship with him, He is my Lord and my Savior. I would ask you, is what I'm sharing, does it fill your heart with joy? Does it give you hope? I pray that it would. I pray that that as you have this hope of the resurrected Christ, that you would live in such a way that your friends around you that don't know Jesus would look at you and say, what's going on with this guy? What's going on with this lady? There's something different about them. And I pray that you have many opportunities to say, oh, it's not just me. Like, I'm actually pretty messed up. Uh, It's because of Jesus. You don't have to say it like that, Um, but in your own way. Um, And and if you know Jesus and you're you're trying to figure out how do I grow in my relationship with him, we want to help you. We as a church at Discovery want to help you grow. So email us, ask us your questions. We have weekly gatherings uh, on different nights of the week all around town called Discovery Groups. Uh, Where people are trying to, a group of people gather, imperfect people, and they try to figure out what does it actually mean to follow Jesus. And if you hear, and maybe something I'm saying is, is stirring something in your heart, and you say, you know what? I want that hope. I want the hope that a resurrected Jesus can bring. I want to invite you to start a relationship with Jesus today. And it's so simple. It's as simple as telling Jesus that you know that you're imperfect and that you believe he paid the price for your imperfections on the cross and that you want to accept his gift and ask him to help you to trust and obey him. You can do that quietly in your seats. You can, if you, someone can, brought you here this morning, you can ask them, hey, will you pray with me? I want to I know Jesus. You can go to the prayer corner and there'll be men and women there that would love to pray with you. And please, if you make that decision, let us know. Send us an email. Uh, I'll be up here in the front, tell me. Tell someone, because we want to help you grow in this new, exciting relationship with Jesus. And if you're still trying to figure out what you think about Jesus, maybe you're like, "Mm, I'm not ready to believe in Jesus, but I think I want to know more. I want to encourage you to take a step of faith as well. And maybe you have questions. Let us know what those questions are. Uh, I probably... Won't know all the answers to them, but I'll find people like Rolly and some of the other staff that probably have the answers. We'll, we'll study the scriptures together. And those discovery groups that I mentioned earlier, they're not just for people that have it all together. They are full of broken people. There are many which are at different points in their relationship with Jesus. So I would encourage you, if you want to know more about Jesus, go to a discovery group. Bring your questions. See and experience with your own eyes the difference that the hope of Jesus can bring. I'm so glad that each of you are here. I don't think it's an accident that you are here. And I believe that God is ecstatic about you being here, hearing about what he has done, how he loves you. So let's celebrate the hope that God has given us through Jesus, the risen Lamb of God. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your love for us, that even while we were far from you, while we were still in our imperfections, you sent Jesus to die and to to rise again. And through that, there is forgiveness of sins, and there is restored relationship with you now and in, in eternity. Would you help us to respond to this great love? And would it be for your glory? Amen. Thank you, James. That's great. Let's thank James for uh, delivering that word this morning. That's great.